How many of you are completely surprised to see me with an Auburn cap on? It's just like the weirdest thing. It's like we are in some kind of alternative universe. It's bizarro world, right? <laughs> I knew somebody would ask that question. Did you lose it back? Some of you might ask this question. Have you lost your mind? I mean, why, why does it seem so strange to see me in this Auburn cap with an Auburn, what do they call these, cozies? Why, why does that seem so weird? <laughs> because it's wrong, okay? It's not who I am. It's not who I am. You guys know that's not who I am. I am, I mean, I'm an Alabama guy through and through, right? I mean, I'm born and bred Alabama. Everything about me is, is, a, is Alabama. I'm an Alabama fan, and you've only known me as an Alabama fan. You can't even imagine War Eagle coming out of my mouth. I mean, I have, I have openly identified myself as an Alabama fan for years, and now to have this Auburn cap on my head is freaking some of you guys out. You're like, what in the world? Something is absolutely wrong with this picture. I am married to a Alabama fan like no other. She's an Alabama graduate as I am. I've got the you know Alabama graduate sticker on my car window, so that makes it official. <laughs> Both my boys graduated from Alabama. I've got a brother that works at Alabama as an associate dean. I've got I've got a sister-in-law that is in uh, works with the parent office at Alabama. I mean, you only know me as an Alabama fan, but yet here I am with an Auburn cap on, and it's freaking you out. It, there's a disconnect. Something's wrong. What? <laughs> Look, I know you guys can't even imagine me in an Auburn cap. I understand that. And I imagine, I, 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 most of you think that if you were to go to my house and look through my house and go through my closets, you wouldn't find anything associated with Auburn in my house either, right? There'd be nothing of Auburn, no orange and blue, hanging in my closet at all, right? And you're absolutely right. Dear God, let me get this off my head. <laughs> Somebody else here is an Auburn fan. Who was it? Come here, Donnie. Here you go, I'll let you have it. I can't believe, if you tell my wife I spent money on Auburn merchandise, she'll kill me. So that's our little secret, she doesn't need to know. Listen, Auburn stuff doesn't look right on me. And there are some things that don't look right on us as followers of Christ, and that's what I want to talk about today. In Colossians chapter 3, Paul talks about some behaviors and attitudes and lifestyles that simply don't look good on the children of God. If we identify ourselves as followers of Christ, if we are resting our identity in who he is and what he's done, if we claim to be his followers, if we believe Christ is our savior, there are some things that just aren't appropriate for us anymore. Attitudes and behaviors that just don't belong. They shouldn't be in our spiritual closets, if you will. We should have nothing to do with some of these things. And, and uh, Paul writes about these things and he, Last week we talked about the bridge that takes us from doctrinal, uh, an understanding of who Christ is and what he's done into the practice of being a Christian. 
So that's what I want to talk about today and get us started thinking in real practical terms about what it is to follow Jesus. What does that look like? What kind of attitudes and behaviors should only be associated with that old life? And we should not carry those old attitudes and behaviors with us into this new life because of our new identity in Christ. We're going to get real practical here today. And I want you to follow me as we do that. See, God intends to give us a spiritual makeover. We're not going to stay the same. He loves us too much to let us stay the same. He's going to change us inside out. We're going to be completely different people when he gets done working on us. That old man is literally going to be dead and gone. It will have, no longer have any effect or influence at, at all over us because there's going to come a point in time when, when we see Jesus face to face that we're going to be just like Jesus in the way we think, in the way we act, the way we speak. Everything about us is going to be conformed to the image of Christ. That's where he's taking us. Christ did what he did for us on the cross, not only to punch our tickets and get us to heaven, Christ did what he did for us on the cross because he's going to transform us completely, morph us into something we thought we could never be. That's what it's about. God intends to give us a spiritual makeover. That means he's going to go through the closets of your life and he's going to pull out some things that don't belong there anymore and throw them away. And if you're lucky, you'll work with him to let him do that. Our problem is we want to sometimes be a stick in the mud and say, God, I'll let you have that, but I won't let you have that. Mm -mm. You work with God, cooperate with God, and the process becomes that much more easy. But anyway, let's get into this. God's going to give us a spiritual makeover, and what he intends to do, listen to me, what he intends to do is he's going to take the attitudes and behaviors that are associated with that old way of life, and he is going to bring us and our lives in line with this new identity we have in Christ Jesus. Are you ready for that? Some of you, some of you are still facing the consequences of those old attitudes and behaviors from your past life, right? Guess what? Those consequences become tools in God's hands to give you such a distaste for that old life, you'll never want to go back there again. But every once in a while, what we do, like the children of Israel, we like to romanticize what we did in the past and think somehow it was better back then. <laughs> That's a lie. That's a lie. Let's, put, let's read this. Colossians 3, 5 through 11. Put to death, whatever. Say those three words with me. Put to death. Say it again. Put to death. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, that old man, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now, say that with me, but now, you must also rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other, since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is, and is in all. Let's pray. Lord, I love you. And I thank you for this word. I thank you for its power. I thank you for its hope. I thank you. Because you love us so much, you're not going to let us stay the same. I thank you. Because we don't have to, we don't have to wallow in this mud anymore. I thank you 
because you have given us a new heart and a new mind and a new purpose to go along with this new identity. And you have broken the power of sin in our life, and now you are calling us to righteousness and to holiness, to be holy even as you are holy. And that's something that would be impossible if we were to try to do that ourselves. But Lord, it's you working in us that makes it possible. And all you ask us to do is to get out of your way, cooperate. Let you do what only you can do, and that's change us from the inside out, making us the person that you want us to be. And I pray, God, that right now a spirit of cooperation would just be poured into the hearts of these people here. Help us to work with you. Help us to stop standing against you, but to start working with you to let this change come about. Some of us have been circling the same mountain for far too long. Some of us have been fighting these battles for far too long, thinking somehow that we could, simply by sheer force of will, overcome these things in our, in our life. But God, help us to understand it's your power at work in us that gives us the will and the courage to, to make the changes that are possible and needed. I love you. Give us ears to hear and a heart to embrace this truth. Help us to put it into practice. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Look, God intends to give us a spiritual makeover. And that means he's going to go through every attitude and behavior in our life. Uh, and you can expect it. He's going to take everything out. And it's going to come under the inspection of the Holy Spirit. And what needs to go, he's going to point it out to you. This needs to go. And if he doesn't get your attention the first time, he may raise his voice a little bit, if you know what I'm talking about. And if he doesn't get your attention that time, he may raise his voice a little bit more, or he even may start slapping your hand a little bit, because God loves you, and he will discipline you in order to make you let go of that attitude or behavior that's destroying you and the people, and the people around you. God's going to go through every attitude and behavior that hangs in your spiritual closet. He wants us to get rid of those things that don't suit us any longer as his children, and God is going to replace those old behaviors and attitudes with new ones, new attitudes and behaviors that fit us, that look good on us. Don't you want to look good? Don't you want to represent him well? well that's what God's going to do. He's going to bring our entire life in line with this new identity that we've been given in Christ Jesus. You can expect this process to play out in your life. Now, this passage of Scripture that we've read today it can be divided into two main sections. And in the first section, uh, we're, gonna, we're, we're told some things that we need to put off or things that we need to stop doing. There's a second section that we're, we're only going to touch on today because really the entire book of Colossians fleshes it out for us. But in the second section, we're told that there is something new that we are to put on, a new set of attitudes, a new set of behaviors that we're to put on, or things that we need to start doing. And uh, then I'm, I want to close the end of the, of the message by just sharing with you a, a helpful plan of action, just four things that you can begin to do to cooperate with God in this process of change that he intends to work in your life. Let's look at these things we need to stop doing first. And he lines them out for us and lists them for us so they're easy to see, and we're going to quickly define them so that you understand what he's talking about. In verse 5, Paul says, Put to death, what, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, Sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Paul gives us here a laundry list of attitudes and behaviors which are no longer appropriate for the children of God. For those of us who say we follow Christ, for those of us who 
stake our identity in Christ. Now, this list seems to focus on the sexual aspects of our life, and I think that's really appropriate for the culture that we live in. And as sexually immoral as America happens to be right now, let me tell you this, Colossae was that much worse. There was open prostitution in the temples. I mean, if you wanted to worship God back in that day, you would go to the temple to do it and sleep with a prostitute. We're not there yet, but we're getting pretty close. There's still a lot of sexual immorality in America, and I can't think of a, of a better area of our life to put under the examination of the Holy Spirit this morning. Uh, so this first list of sins has to do with our sexual nature, the, that, that part of us uh, that engages in sexual behavior. And I want you to also notice in this list that it moves from the external behaviors to really what's going on inside the heart that leads to those external behaviors. You've got to understand this. Sometimes God will work on us from the outside in. If you've ever been placed in a jail cell and be taken away from your drugs, you know what I'm talking about. God's got to sometimes get our minds cleared up before he can start working in our minds. You know what I'm saying, right? You hear me? Okay. So God will do whatever he's got to do to get us straight. Does that make sense? So here's this laundry list. Sexual immorality. Sexual immorality is any kind of sexual intimacy outside of the marriage covenant between a man and a woman. And that marriage covenant is, is for life. Anything outside, any sexual behavior outside, activity outside of marriage, it's got to go. Put it to death. Impurity. Impurity is that it involves our thoughts and our imagination. This is what immediately precedes immorality. Immorality is the act, but impurity is the thought behind the act. You've got to put impurity to death. Lust. Lust is an evil passion that refuses to take no for an answer. Lust will not rest until, it, until it's satisfied. You've got to put lust to death. Evil desires. Evil desires speak of a person's natural bent towards selfishness and sin. You remember how it used to be in the old days? You didn't have to be trained to do what was wrong. You just kind of leaned that way anyway. Right? When it got hot and heavy, you, you just went along with it. Right? That's the old nature. But now, have you noticed this about your new nature? When you start to get hot and heavy, there's something in you saying, that's not right, you can't do that. At that point, you've got, you, you got a decision to make for yourself. Am I going to continue down this road even though the Holy Spirit inside of me is saying no, or do I stop and listen to his voice and turn back? Now, that's, that's a choice you've got to make. But there is something, that old man's still there. But you've got to starve that old man to death and let God have his way in your life. That, okay. Those are the evil desires that he's talking about here. Then he talks about greed, which seems funny. Why greed? It seems like you've been talking about sexual immorality, and suddenly you come to this, this idea of greed. Well, look, man, I think greed or covetousness lies at the heart of every sin, to be perfectly honest. We want what we don't have. We always want what we don't have. Greed believes that something or someone other than God can make, my, make your life full and complete. So that, that really becomes idolatry, does it not? Because you're looking to something else to satisfy your soul. You're looking at something else to make you whole. 
You're looking at something other than God to fulfill you and make you complete. So what happens is this, this greed, this, these evil desires, this lust, this impurity, this sexual immorality, you think that it's going to complete me if I can just get him, if I can just get her, if I can get them to love me, if I can get her to love me, if I can express myself in this way, I'm going to be, oh, that's why I hate the phrase, he completes me. Ain't nobody going to complete you but Jesus, okay? So please, don't ever let that come out your mouth because what that does for me is it tells me what's going on inside your heart. You have put your hopes and pinned your hopes on a human being that can never completely satisfy you. And you're going to be disappointed if you think he can complete you or she can complete you. Jesus alone satisfies. Let him sit on the throne of your heart. Desire him above everything else. So don't let, don't, don't let this all turn into idolatry. Look, it's really clear from this passage of Scripture that desires will lead to deeds. It's really clear from this passage of Scripture that appetites will lead to actions. Whatever appetite you've got, it's going to cause you to act in such a way to satisfy that appetite, right? What our minds imagine in private, our bodies will eventually do in public. You hear me? So what do your minds and your thoughts linger on? I mean, if you want to purify your actions, if you want to purify your behavior, then you've got to first purify your minds and your hearts. For out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth will speak. Above all else, Proverbs says, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. From you will flow your actions and your behavior. Guard that heart. See, a lot of us are real quick to give our hearts away to someone that can't be trusted with it. And we've been down those roads and we've suffered the consequences of it. And I'm telling you, it's time. It's time to get serious about your thought life, where your desires are placed, so that you can take care of some of these other external behaviors that get us in so much trouble. God's going to take us through that process of change. Paul makes it clear here that, that we can't just play at this little game. You can't just play at it. This is not a game. This is life or death. This is life or death. I've spoken to a couple different people this week who made choices that could have ended in death. You cannot play any longer you cannot play any longer at this process that God is taking you through. He's going to change you or you're going to die. Some of you are already out of wiggle room. Some of us still have a little wiggle room left. You know what I'm talking about? I talked to you some of, some of you, and, and you know some of us still have a little wiggle room. We, we can still get by a little bit, but some of you, you ain't got no wiggle room left. I mean, you're hanging by a thread. You got to stop playing. And those of you who think you've got a little wiggle room left, you'd be better off to go ahead and take it seriously right now so that you don't get to the point where you only got a little wiggle room left. Or none at all. You know, come on, I'm sorry, I'm rabbit trails. Paul says it this way. He says, you better stop playing at this game. You better get serious and put to death. Put to death whatever belongs to that old earthly nature. Now that sounds pretty radical to me. He's not playing here. You guys remember 
back, oh, I guess it was about 10 or 11 years ago, there was a hiker. He was all by himself up in the mountains over, somewhere in the western part of the United States, and he got trapped by an 800-pound boulder that fell on his hands. And you remember that story? For five days, they made a movie out of it. I can't remember the name of the movie. But for five days, this boulder rested on his hand, and he tried to think of every conceivable way to move that boulder, could not move that boulder. And finally, in an act of desperation, he took out his knife, and he twisted his arm in such a way, and he cut his own hand off and walked out of that, out of that uh, ravine, out from under that boulder, and, and saved his life. Remember that? He put that hand to death so he could be free to live. Some of us need to be willing to do whatever it takes to put that old part of that nature to death so we can be free to live. Jesus says the same thing in Matthew chapter 5. He says, if your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for the whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go to hell. I'm not talking here about, and Jesus isn't talking here either about self-mutilation. That's not what we're talking about here. What, what, what this does mean is that we need to stop living in the delusion that we can manage our sin. You cannot manage sin. If you think you're managing your sin, it's already got you. It's become your master. You cannot manage your drinking. You cannot manage your lust. You cannot manage your greed. You cannot manage your sinful behavior. You've got to kill it to be free of it. We're always in trouble when we think, I got this. I got it. So funny, I've watched this over and over again for those of you in recovery. People in recovery so often will get a year, year and a half, two years under their belt. And somehow they think at that point, I can handle this. I got it, man. Look at me. I can go to that party. I'll be okay. I can take a sip of that beer. I'll be okay. Only to find out that old man suddenly comes roaring back with a vengeance to take over again. And what they thought they had managed was now managing them. You've got to kill sin. You don't manage it. You don't try to control it. You've got to kill it. One old Puritan said it this way, you either kill the sin in your life or the sin in your life will kill you. Put it to death. Put it to death. But I want you to remember, even as I say that, that we don't operate out of fear. We operate out of the victory that's been purchased for us at the cross by Jesus Christ. We fight sin from a position of victory. Remember, our life is hidden in Christ. We've been given a new nature. The Spirit of God lives inside our hearts. Christ has already won the victory over sin for us. The power of sin is broken. When Christ died on the cross, Sin and death died with him. All we need to do now, and this is where the cooperation part comes in, we got to stop fighting it ourselves. We need to let go, let God have his way in our life, surrender to his purposes. We have to trust him. We have to use the resources that he's given us. 
And then we have to obediently take a stand against that sin. And guess what? We win. That's what the steps are all about. That's what victory in Christ is all about. It's about simply trusting that God has already given us victory. It's about using the resources at our disposal. What resources do we have as followers of Christ? Give me some. What? The Word of God, absolutely. But yet we remain ignorant of the Word of God and wonder why we don't have a word to help us get... Come on, y'all. Word of God? Prayer, absolutely. Do you think God's going to hear the cry of His child who is in need, desperate need of help to overcome a sin? Absolutely. What else? We got fellowship. We got each other. If you don't have a phone number of a fellow brother or sister in Christ, get one. If you're not regularly attending church services and Bible studies and part of a, some kind of fellowship in which you are engaging in conversation and accountability, you need to start. That's one of your best resources right there. What else have we got? What? Faith, absolutely. That comes by what? Reading the Word, right? Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. Mentors, people who you can go to and unashamedly ask questions that need to be asked, that you can trust to give you answers, who will tell you the truth even though you may not want to hear it. What else have we got? What about the Spirit of God living inside your heart? Dear Lord, I wish we would just learn to stop and listen to the voice of God when he speaks to us. How many of you recognize times already where God has said, Stop! And you blew right through it anyway. <laughs> Only to live with the regret of the choice that you made, right? Do you think your ears will be a little bit more sensitive next time? See, a lot of us know what to do. John, John will confirm this with me. In most counseling that I do with people, people already know what to do. They just don't want to do it. The Lord has already spoken to them and given them direction about how to break free of this problem in their life they know what to do. It's like a doctor handing you a prescription. If you'll take this three times a day, you'll be cool. Guess what? We never go to the pharmacy to get the prescription filled. And if we do, it sits on a shelf and we never take the pill. We don't do what we know to do. Is that on God? or is that Some of us are blaming God for his inaction when it's us who's guilty of inaction. You're wondering why you're still going around that mountain. It's three, four years at it now, going around saying, you know what to do, just do it. How many more ways can he say it to you? I love Cindy's illustration. Three frogs sitting on a log. Two of them decide to jump. How many frogs are sitting on the log? Three, because they didn't jump, they just decided to. We've got to learn to listen to the voice of God. And the Spirit of God lives inside our hearts. We're not alone in any of this. It's just that we're not availing ourselves of the resources that we have. He wants to change us. And some of you are saying, well, I want to change too. But you're not jumping off the log. You're not taking the steps of faith you need to take. You're not saying no when you see, need to say no. You're not saying yes when you need to say yes. You're just... Deciding to change. Three years later, you're still deciding to change. 
Five years later, you're still, I want to change. Well, for crying out loud, change already. Make the choice already. We've been given all kinds of resources. Man, we're not alone in any of this. God is going to get us through. And I'll tell you, when you keep running into the same wall over and over and over again, it might just, why don't you wake up and smell the coffee? I'm not going to get around this wall or over this wall or under this wall until I follow the, the instructions that God has already given me. Rabbit trail, let me get back. I want us to understand that we, have, that we fight sin from a position of victory. We have all the resources we need. All the resources we need. Peter says it this way, you have been given everything you need for life and godliness. Nothing's been left out of your tool belt. But are you using the tool? When Christ died on the cross, he broke the power of sin in your life. You don't have to listen to that old man anymore. You don't have to follow his leanings, his urgings anymore. There is a new spirit, a principle in control of your life. God himself has taken you and given you a new heart, placed his spirit inside of you. The power of sin is broken. His grace is going to get you through. He has given us everything we need. All we have to do is follow, obey, cooperate. Romans 5, 17, I love this verse. It says, but even greater, even greater than sin, is God's wonderful grace and his gift of righteousness through all who receive it. Are you receiving it? How do I, how do you, how do you, if I offer you a gift, at what point does the gift become effective? When you receive it, I can offer you the gift all day long. But if you won't receive it, this gift's no good to you. I'm sorry. That's my Bible. You and my Bible. Are. Look, that's the deal. Even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of righteousness for all who receive it will live in what? 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 So stop whining and stop making excuses and start living in the triumph that's yours in Christ Jesus. You don't have to struggle with that sin anymore. You don't have to struggle with that habit, that attitude. All the old behaviors that were tearing your family up, they don't have to have control of you anymore unless you let it. You've been given the victory. It's yours in Christ Jesus because of what Christ did for you. We will live in triumph over sin and death through this one man, Jesus Christ. Listen, sin may be strong, but it's no match for the power we have in Christ. Sin may be strong, but it's no match for the power that we have in Christ Jesus. In verses 8 and 9, Paul gives us another list of behaviors and attitudes that just aren't appropriate for us anymore, like me wearing that Auburn cap. You don't need to wear these things anymore. You don't, they don't need to be part of your life anymore. God's going to get them out of your spiritual closet. Listen to what he says. But now you must also rid yourselves. Say, rid yourselves. Rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with its practices. Now, the first list was a list of sexual sins. This list is a list of social sins. Sins that tear our relationships up. Relationships in our homes, relationships at work, relationships here in the church. These are, uh, this is a list of social sins. Paul says these things should not have anything to do with you. You need to rid yourselves of these things. Anger. Anger is a deep, smoldering 
resentful bitterness. Sometimes anger comes from being hurt or mistreated in the past. Sometimes anger is the result of pent-up frustration because you're not getting your way. Whatever the source of that anger is, though, whatever the case, anger is like a volcano waiting to erupt in your life. A lot of people struggle with anger. You're not alone. You're not alone. Rage. Rage is the explosion of anger. Rage is when the volcano erupts. Rage is when a person loses control. Rage is when a person flies off the handle and vents at any target in its way. How many of you have been on the receiving end of some of those explosions and you're wondering, what in the, what did I ever do to you, man? Maybe it was in traffic on I-65. It could have been me venting, I don't know, but, you know. Rage, but you've, you've all, you, you've experienced that for yourself as the giver and the givee, right? Malice. Malice is anger. Malice is anger that's just being mean-spirited, hateful, and vicious. Malice just wants to hurt other people. Should have nothing at all to do with God's people. Should have, it's not appropriate for us anymore. The world wants to work like that, and the world wants to manipulate and control other people like that. Well, let them. That's not who we are. Slander. Slander is anger speaking words that wound the reputations of other people. We don't need to be party to any of that. And I would encourage you, if someone comes up to you and starts saying things that harm the reputation of another person, shut them off. I don't want to hear that, man. Or turn it around on them. You know what? I think they're a great person. Let me tell you what they did for me. This is the way they helped me. But we don't have, this doesn't need to, we don't need anything to do with this kind of stuff. Filthy language. Wow. Filthy language is one of those omni words. It kind of talks about a lot of different things. It can, uh, filthy language so often is anger itself, but filthy, it's filthy language that speaks, and when it speaks, it uses crude words. And, it uses dirty jokes and offensive language. It's abusive in, in its speech. It's insensitive. It, it's, it's, it, it, it's words that, that are used to intentionally to offend and to hurt and to cut down. I had a, a, a rule in my youth group in Ozark because it was so bad when we first got there. We had a rule, and I said it all the time, either, you, you either build up or you shut up. Mama used to say, if you ain't got nothing good to say about the person, they don't say anything at all. Maybe that's a rule we all ought to start following again here. Because the, you know what? What's disturbing to me, is, and, I, and you see it on Facebook, I guess, and that's that's a prime example of it. I see Christians or those who claim to follow Christ speaking in such harsh, judgmental, condemnatory, awful, hurtful ways to other people. And I'm thinking to myself, you know, you're not represent. Can you see Christ coming up? To someone struggling with a sinful issue in their life and said, you better get it right, you're going to hell. He spoke firmly, he spoke truthfully, but he spoke graciously as well. Not with the intent to offend, but with the intent to win. Does that make sense? It's time that we became winsome in the way we used our words. Not hurtful. Filthy language has, should have no part. It's not, just not appropriate for those who claim to be in Christ, lies. Lying is anger that's, that's often anger. It's, it's, it's uh, words spoken uh, to deceive, 
with the intent to deceive, with the intent to manipulate, with the intent to create a false impression. None of you are ever guilty of that, I know. Every time I hear somebody's story, and and they're just being as honest and truthful as they think they can be, I'm saying to myself, there's another side to this story, and somewhere the truth lies in between. Is that not true? Often what you and I are told, it's truthful from that person's perspective, and that's the way they see it, but it's also twisted up in their emotions, and the truthfulness of this entire situation is somehow lost because their perception is corrupt. You know what I'm saying? So we're quick to make judgments, aren't we? We're quick to jump on it, take sides. No, 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 no. Look, what I've come to... This is, this is really awful. I've come to take Judge Judy. I like to watch Judge Judy when I get home from school. Just saying. It's, it's, it's my guilty pleasure. I love Judge Judy because she just assumes everybody's lying. <laughs> Some of you are going, well, I do too, kind of. Well, I do too, frankly. It's not because they intend to lie all the time. I see some of my law enforcement guys who've been in law enforcement, you're nodding your head too because you know what I'm talking about. I I just, I'm going to assume that their perception of the truth has somehow been corrupted. Is that a nicer way of saying they're lying? And they're just giving me their side of the story. You know? It's not all the time because they want to or intend to. Sometimes it's just because they can't help themselves. I'm telling you, we need to try to see the whole truth before we start sharing it with anybody. We need to try to understand both sides of the story before we start trying to manipulate somebody else's perception. Does that make sense? You know what? You know how not to lie? No, keep your mouth shut. Just don't say anything at all. We've got to rid ourselves of these behaviors, these attitudes, because they have, some of us right now are still living with the consequences of this old man and his behaviors. But that, that, that's the old you. You've got to put on this new you now, this new you that's been created and is being renewed to be like Jesus. We're going to get into that in just a minute. We've got to rid ourselves of these things. We, we may have picked up these attitudes and these behaviors in our old life, and they may used to have been our old coping mechanisms. We talk about that in recovery a lot, coping mechanisms that we have developed, that we use to protect ourselves from consequences. We can't use those coping mechanisms anymore. They're not appropriate for us as the children of God. Right? We are going to live a new way, a way that honors God. We're going to live in a new way a way that lines up with our new identity in Christ Jesus. Do you think Jesus ever told a lie? I don't think so. Do you think he ever manipulated other people's emotions? I don't think so. He spoke the truth. Look, not only is is this new life God creating for us, this new identity, God's going to line our our behavior up with this new identity. In verse 6, Paul reminds us of something that I want to point out to you. Because a lot of times we... In this, in this, uh, this church environment that we're in, somehow we have lost the, the sight of the fact that God is just 
just as he is love. Okay? Paul reminds us in verse 6 that because of these attitudes and behaviors, the wrath of God is coming. The wrath of God is coming. Not only do we need to cooperate with the Lord in order to live the kind of life that he has in mind for us, to let go of those old behaviors and attitudes because that, that, uh, God's trying to line us up with this new identity in Christ, but, and we, we need to embrace that and cooperate with that. Not only should we live our lives by faith in God, we also need to live our lives, listen to me, in the fear of God. Not fear is like, oh, I'm afraid, but fear in the sense I respect who he is. And I respect the fact that he is the judge of my life. And I respect the fact that every careless word I speak, he sits in judgment over. That everything I do, my life is under his examination. I can't justify it. I can't defend it. He is the judge over my life. Does that make sense? This culture does not define for us what is right and what is wrong. This culture doesn't define for us what is moral and what is immoral. The judge of all the earth decides that for us, and his name is Jesus. So I'm not only going to live my life by faith in Christ, I'm also going to live my life in the fear of Christ, reverencing him, revering him, and respecting him for who he is. He's not just my homeboy. He's my Lord and my King. You may, does that make sense? We've we got to somehow get that drop back down in our spirit. That he not only is love, but he is also just. All right, let me move on. So the question here today, is, as we've gone through this laundry list, is this. What's hanging in your spiritual closet? Which one of these attitudes and behaviors is still a part of your life? Even though you claim identity now in Christ, even though you have been given a new purpose, even though you've been given a new direction, are any of these behaviors, any of these attitudes still hanging in your spiritual closet? And if it is, don't you think it's time to get them out of there? Maybe this message is just for you today. God's saying you've got to put this stuff to death. God's saying you've got to get rid of this stuff. It doesn't belong in your closet anymore. It doesn't belong in your life anymore. It doesn't look, it, it doesn't look right on you just like that Auburn cat didn't look right on Pastor Mark. Listen, get rid of it. Then Paul says there's something we need to start doing. These are things we need to stop doing. Here's some things we need to start doing. These are some attitudes and behaviors we need to start putting on. And again, we're only going to touch on this because Colossians, the rest of Colossians really explores this more and fleshes it out. Verses 10 and 11 say, put on the new self. Take off the old self, put on the new self. Get rid of that stuff in the, old, in the, in the closets that don't belong. Now, put these things in your closet instead, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Listen. What Paul is saying here is in Christ we've been given a new life with a new purpose and a new identity and now God wants us to dress ourselves accordingly with the right attitudes and the right behaviors. The rest of Colossians is going to flesh this out for us. But there are two things I want to point out before I give you an action plan that will help you begin to cooperate with God in this transformation process. And that's what the first thing I want you to understand is this. It's a process of change. It's a process of transformation. It's not something that happens overnight. I know we wish it were. Don't you wish there was a magic pill that would suddenly help you move away from that old way of living into this new way of living? Ain't no such thing. Stop looking for it. 
We're hoping that one experience with God is going to completely, whoa, turn us around. Guess what? Probably not going to happen. It's a process of change that he takes us through. And in this process of change, what happens is, God is, it's not only for our good, but God receives the glory for it. And how good, how loving would God be if, you got keys there? Hold those keys in your hand. Hold, just hold them. How, how loving do you think God, God would appear to be if he said, Savannah, you got to give me those keys. Savannah, you got to give me those keys. Savannah, give me the keys, Savannah! It starts wrestling you with them. Do you think, how loving and express? Here's what God's doing. Savannah, give me the keys. Give me the keys, Savannah. If you keep, whoo! If I snatch them from her, take her from her, I'm a tyrant. But if I say, Savannah, those keys are not good for you. Give me the keys. And she finally trusts me enough to hand me the keys. I'm not a tyrant. I'm a loving Heavenly Father, which is what God wants to be. Does that make sense? Now, sometimes he has to pin us up and corner us and so we don't do any more damage to ourselves. But by and large, God tends to work with us in a gentle, albeit firm, loving way. It's a process. This spiritual makeover that's going to go on in your life, it's, it's an ongoing daily process that you can expect to happen over the course of your lifetime. I don't know about John. John and Diane are relatively perfect. I'm not. And every day I see that God is still working in my life in some way, bringing to light things in my life that just don't belong in my spiritual closet anymore. It's, a, it's an ongoing daily process. And the two words that point this out is this, the two words being renewed. Being renewed. You are being renewed. Say that with me. Being renewed. Being renewed. It's a process of being. It's not you've been renewed. It's being renewed. God is going to take you through an ongoing daily process of change that will make you more and more like Christ in the way you think and act. Now, here's the deal. At times, sometimes this process is going to seem pretty smooth and pretty intuitive. Heck, that's pretty easy. Change came pretty quick, pretty easy. Guess what? There are other times that the process is going to be bumpy and it's going to be counterintuitive. You mean I got to trust you with that? I got to surrender that? I thought that was good. I thought that was okay. And now you're telling me, Lord, I got to give that up too? Or I got to start doing that instead? At times, it's going to be bumpy and it's going to be counterintuitive. At times, this process of change will come easily. And at other times, the process of change is really, really painful. But throughout the process, no matter how long this process, and this process will, will, will go on for the rest of your life, and, and no matter how, at what stage you're in, whether it's easy or difficult, throughout the process, trust God. Let God bring the change into your life because he knows what he's doing. He knows the issue you need to work on right now. And, and our problem is we want him to work on this issue now. And he's saying, no, let me work on this issue now. We're trying to tell the master craftsman how to operate. It's like me going to a mechanic and saying, I want you to fix this on my car. And he's saying, but if we don't fix this, then fixing that's not going to do you any good. 
Let God fix what God wants to fix. And trust me, he'll let you know what that is. He's really good at what he does. Philippians 1, 6 says this, and I'm certain that God who began the good work within you will continue his work until it's finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. God finishes what he starts. No matter how bumpy the road might be, no matter how smooth it might be, God's going to finish what he starts. Work with him on it. Cooperate with him. Because this process is for everybody. That's the second thing I want you to understand. This process of change isn't just for those who feel a call to lifetime ministry. It's not just a call to those who want to serve on, a, on the board of elders. This change that God is taking us through, he intends to take all of his children through, not just one or two. Oh, man. I thought I could miss that. No. <laughs> yeah. You're in for a change, too. You, really, you know why? Because he loves you. He loves you. That's why in verse 11 it says, Here, here, there is no Gentile or Jew. There's no circumcised or uncircumcised. There's no barbarian. There's no Scythian, slave or free. But Christ is all and is in all. Here, there is no addict and non-addict. Here, there is no adulterer. You know, stand for the big A because you look for the... Here there is no divorce and non-divorce. Here there is no, you know, uh, uh, broken family and whole family. God's going to take us all through this process of change. It doesn't matter what your background is, your ethnicity. It doesn't matter how much knowledge of God you came into the kingdom with or how much knowledge you had when you came... That doesn't matter. God is still going to change it. So you may as well just buckle down, as, as uh, Avery Johnson says, buckle up. Buckle up. Because change is coming. He intends to change us all and make us more and more like Jesus in our lifestyle. It's for everyone. Romans 8.29 says it this way. For God knew his people in advance, and he chose them, not some of them, he chose them to become like his son, so that his son would be the firstborn among a couple of them. How, what does it say up there? Many, many brothers and sisters. Look, it, it, this process is intended for all of us. So the instructions that you're about to receive from the rest of the book of Colossians doesn't just apply to me as a pastor. doesn't just apply to Steve as an elder. doesn't just apply to Cindy as a former addict or recovery leader. These instructions that you're going to receive over the next few weeks, they're for all of us. All of us. Every one of us. Like it or not, buckled up. Woo! Some of y'all are saying, oh, man, I thought I could miss. No, 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 no. No, what's good enough for me is good enough for you too. <laughs> Hallelujah. All right. Let, let me, I want to give you a four-step action plan. Jot these things down, if you will. Four-step action plan in light of all that we've talked about today. Quickly, quickly. I'm going to make this real quick. You're, God intends to take you through a transformation that brings your life in line with your new identity in Christ Jesus. And there are four things I want you to see at the, um, at the onset of this 
this change, this process of change that's taking place. First of all, take sin seriously. Take sin seriously. Some preacher way back in the day said, sin will take you farther than you want to go, keep you longer than you want to stay, and cost you more than you want to pay. A lot of us already know about the awful consequences of sin. So when Paul says, put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, he's not kidding. Put it to death. Don't play with it. Don't, don't deny it. Don't justify it. Don't minimize it. Put it to death. When God brings it to your attention, it's because he wants you to get rid of it. Not because he wants you to hold it up and examine it and say, well, it's not so bad. It was sin that sent Christ to the cross. His blood was shed to pay for that thing that you want to play with. Don't play with his grace. Don't play with his blood. Don't play with his love. Get rid of it, man. Get rid of that sin. Take it seriously. Just because the whole world around us is engaged in it, embraces it, it doesn't mean we as the children of God should do the same. As a matter of fact, it says just the opposite. I don't put that, it has no part of me. No part. I'm not going down that road. I'm not even going to consider the alternative there. None of me. Nah. It's not appropriate for me as a child of God to be taken down that road. Take it seriously. Second, target the sins you need to kill. Notice I emphasize the you. Target the sins you need to kill. Don't worry about the speck in another person's eye. You probably got a big old beam sticking out of your own eye. You take care of the sin in your life. Let God take care of the sin in their life. We spend so much time deflecting attention from the sin in our life by saying, well, look at them. They're pretty bad, too. Well, at least I'm not doing that. Here, let me get that speck out of your eye. I would ask you this question here. Target the sins you need to kill. I want to ask you a question here. You don't have to jot it down unless you want to. Do you know what two sins you struggle with the most? What two sins do you struggle with the most? Think about it. Can you name them? What right now is God speaking to you about? That area of your life, that habit or behavior or attitude hanging in your spiritual closet, is he pointing out saying, you need to get rid of that? What two sins is he speaking to you about? Can you name them? Well, if you can, then you know what to target. I got to deal with that. I got to deal with that greed. I got to deal with this habit of gossip. I've got to deal with this, this habit of lying, thinking I can manipulate my way out of sin. I've got to deal with this using my, 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 my words to control it. I've got to deal with that. If you can identify it, then you can begin to target it. Most of us don't stop long enough to think it through and confess it. And so we just continue to engage in it. And it keeps getting us in trouble. And we wonder why. It's because we're not doing anything that gives God 
the opportunity to move in our life and change things. If you can't name them, then maybe that's a good place to start. Maybe you need to ask God to show you what they are. What are you trying to show me, God? What areas of my life are still inappropriate for your child? Maybe you should ask God to show you what you are, or maybe you should ask a spouse or a friend or a parent, because I bet you they're itching to tell you. Right? Take sin seriously. Target the sins you need to kill. Third, kill those sins daily by saying no. No is the most empowering word in the universe. Say it with me, no. 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 How many different ways can you say no? Nah, come on, think of No! Uh-uh. What? Not. Negative. Not for me. Never. It's amazing the power you gain when you learn to use that word no. 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 Hey, man, you want to go to the party? Nah. As a, as a, we always told our boys, if you get invited to do something or feel pressured to do something you shouldn't do, here's how you say no. My parents will kill me. My parents, yes, your pastor will kill you. Feel free to bring me up. And I don't, that's fine with me. You kill those sins daily by saying no. Titus, chapter, uh, Titus 2 says this, for the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions. You know, you don't have to say yes anymore. You don't have to. You don't have to say yes to the devil anymore. You can look at him, shake your fist in his face, and say, no, get behind me, man. Leave me alone. Never speak to me again. If you ever say that to me again I'll never ever let you back in my house no Whew, that's an empower that's a word of power right there God gives you God gives you the right to say no it's okay to block that phone number on your phone it's okay to hang up on them it's okay to cut friends off. From friends, they're not friends anyway. It's okay to cut people off from your life. Say no. It's okay to look at somebody and say, you can never talk to me that way again. You can never offer me that again. Use the word no. Use it. God's given you the right to say no. Every time you say no to sin, every time you say no to temptation, you become stronger and that sin becomes weaker. It's just like exercise. The more you learn to use the word no wisely, the stronger your spirit is going to get. Saying no to sin is going to make you stronger. So kill those sins daily by saying no. The fourth part of this action plan is this. Find your satisfaction in Christ. I mean, you've already tried everything else and it didn't work, did it? probably why you find yourself here this morning. I have tried drugs, I've tried alcohol, I've tried sex, I've tried money, I've tried career, I've tried, 
and I can't get satisfied, guess what? You're never going to be satisfied in anything else or with any, anybody else other than Jesus. Jesus satisfies. We are made complete in Christ Jesus. He is our salvation. He is our joy. He is our hope. He is our peace. Now, sin promises all those things. It never delivers. It leaves us hanging and feeling empty when it's over. But when Christ promises those things, he always comes through. Always. Can I get an amen from somebody that knows what I'm talking about? I mean, you've been down those other roads, and man, you're so empty. But now that you have found Jesus, and Jesus has found you, and he's taken up residence in your heart, suddenly, all those things don't seem to matter anymore. Because Christ has filled up this God-shaped hole in your life, in your heart. Jesus says in John 4, 14, those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. And that's the absolute truth. And I imagine there are several people in this room that would agree with me. So say no to sin, say yes to Jesus, and you're going to discover for yourself how satisfying Christ really is. And I know we need to bring this to an end, so we will. I want, I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes. I want the team to come back up. We're going to worship the Lord here. What I want you to walk away in this message thinking about is this. For those, for those of you who identify with Christ, who know that Christ died for your sins and you've placed your trust in him, and you know because of Christ you are free and forgiven. Here's what I want you to think about. Where are you in this process of change? Where is it God is working in your life today? What is God pointing out to you that still hangs in your spiritual closet that he says you need to get rid of that? You can't do that anymore. You can't say that anymore. You can't go there anymore. You can't display that attitude anymore. What is hanging, still hanging in your spiritual closet, it's a less leftover memento of those old ways and those old days. And what are you going to do about it? Are you going to let God have his way, or, or are you going to kind of push him to the side and say, not now. I'll tell you this. I believe with all my heart that some of you are sick and tired of being sick and tired, and you are ready for change. You are ready to let that go. You're ready to put that attitude, that behavior to death. You are ready to get it out of your spiritual closet and get rid of it once and for all. And I'm telling you today, the Lord is speaking to you, and he's saying, let's go. Let's go, I'll make it happen. As we worship the Lord today, spend time in his presence, I'm going to ask you to open up your heart and let the Lord speak to you about that and respond to him today. Maybe you need to come to the altar and lay that thing down and confess it and acknowledge it for what it is, a sin. And you can be sure of this. Jesus says if we confess our sins, he will forgive us. And he will cleanse us of all that unrighteousness. 
So if you follow Jesus, if you've placed your identity in Christ, if, you're, if you call yourself and believe yourself to be a follower of Christ, that's what I want you to do as we worship the Lord. Let God put his finger on attitudes and behaviors from your past that no longer are appropriate to a child of God. Let God deal with them today. There's a second group of people in this room, and you haven't yet put your trust in Christ. You're still wondering what all this is about. And you're still wondering if God is real. You're still wondering if change is possible. And I want to stand up here today in front of you and say, yes, God is real. And yes, change is possible. But change will only come by surrendering to Jesus Christ. Change will only come by trusting him, putting your faith in him, letting go of the past so that he can make you brand new. So as we spend time worshiping Jesus today, and the Lord calls you, and he taps you on your shoulder, and he says, today is the day for salvation. Today is the day that you receive me into your life and heart. I want you to come up and talk to me. Tap me on the shoulder because I want to pray with you. And I'll go to the altar with you. And we'll spend time in prayer together. Let's just worship the Lord for the next few minutes. Let's put our focus on him so that the Holy Spirit can speak to us. These altars are open. Feel free to respond. Let's go.